WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emmanuel Berry, subbing for Emily Fox. Today on the show, we check in with two MSU alumni who are canoeing the entire Mississippi River. But first, today's headlines. In local news, Lansing Township could see hundreds of jobs if a plan to expand Eastwood Town Center is approved. The plan includes the construction of 125 apartments, six new restaurants, and additional retail space. The Township Board of Trustees will discuss the plan tonight. It appears that economic development is happening throughout Michigan. New government figures confirm that Michigan's deep recession is over. According to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, Michigan's economy grew 2.9 percent last year, faster than the national average of 2.6 percent. This year's growth is a sharp contrast to Michigan's 2009 economic standings when the state's economy shrunk by 5 percent. In national news, President Barack Obama says the U.S. and Germany believe that the economic crisis in Europe could put the global economy at risk. According to the Associated Press, the U.S. and Germany will continue to assist in debt crisis in the debt crisis that has struck countries in Europe, including Greece. In addition, Obama urged European countries and bondholders to contain to continue, excuse me, to contain Greece's debt crisis. And those are today's headlines. Later on Exposure, we'll hear from poet and singer Rose Cooper, but first you'll hear an interview. Exposure's Emily Fox did with Michigan singer-songwriter Sam Corbin. He will play alongside Jen Siget this Friday in downtown East Lansing at Fountain Square from 7 to 8 p.m. So talk about your music um, and your musical background. Yeah, well, I I started playing guitar when I was 16. Um, My parents got me a guitar, and, and, and I'm about to turn 30, so however many years that is, <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, I've been playing for a while, doing it kind of seriously, maybe for 10 years, um, but I, I play, I think maybe consider it Americana, kind of folk roots music, um, and I have a, a couple CDs out, and, um, but I, I've been playing with Jen for, you know, maybe the last, I mean, on and off for maybe five years or so, um, but more serious for the last maybe year and a half or two years. And you guys were originally just kind of solo artists that that join into a duo, yeah. um, and then you both contribute to each other's yeah. solo work. Um, how did you find Jen Sigan, and how did that how did that duo form? Um, I actually met her at her open mic, um, which she'll be at later tonight. She hosts a, an open mic at Dagwoods every Tuesday, um, and I went there. I I can't remember why I hadn't been there before, but I, I went to the open mic and and. You know, I ended up playing a couple songs, and and I can't remember if it was that time or another time, but she ended up getting up at one point and singing harmonies with me, and it it was just fun. It, she she jumped right in and, and sang some awesome harmonies, and and uh, somehow from there on, I think you know maybe playing a little bit at open mic, we we decided to start playing some shows together. So so from there it was kind of off and on a little bit. You know, we'd get some kind of a show and and we'd play it together, and then she asked me to go on a tour with her, and we went out to the the East Coast and did a tour from Vermont down to North Carolina. And, um, yeah, so 
And then the last, you know, year and a half or two years or so, we, we decided we enjoyed it too much. We just wanted to play together, so. So is Americana music, is that popular on the East Coast? I mean, I I feel like it's it's becoming more popular, but I don't know if it's yeah. a certain region in the U.S. that's preferring it more than others. Um, I think I think all over the U.S. It's there's definitely you know pockets I think where where people listen to it more, and there's definitely an audience for it. You know, not everyone gets into it, and um, but Michigan seems to be seems to be pulling out a lot of a lot of great musicians and and people. A lot of people playing, you know, kind of the same Americana roots, folk, and bluegrass, and and blues, and all these styles of music. So, um, so yeah, it just depends on where you go. Some places we go, we you know people really enjoy it, and other times we we show it to a venue to you know three people. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, without further ado, would you like to play a song for us so our listeners can get a feel for sure the type of music we're talking about? Yeah, here? I'll do a song. This is. Um, so Jen and I play all over Michigan mostly. We get out of this, you know, out of the state a little bit. Um, but one of our favorite places to, to play is is up in northern Michigan. Uh, at, it's in uh, in Bel Air, and there's a place called Shorts Brewing Company. And so I, anyway, I wrote this song kind of about that trip, you know, or one of the trips we played there a lot of times. But so this is called North Country. I'm driving through the pines near Mansalona And I wonder if my baby misses me And I'm on the coattails of that northern wind In the hills roll out as far as you can see And the sun is hiding way above the clouds Which are heaven with the rain
In the studio, I have Sam Corbin. That was him performing North Country. So, Sam, talk about Michigan's influence on your music. I know you have a few songs that have the title Michigan in it. Um, and with, I guess, the Americana feel, you want to attach it to a, a sense of place. Yeah. So talk about <clears throat> Michigan's influence on your music. Um, well, I think, I mean, I, I was born and raised here, um, right in Lansing. And, um, you know, I remember being young and wanting to get out and, and, and leave. I think a lot of people want to get away from home, especially when you're young, um, you know, because it's just the only place you've been, you know. And, uh, but as I've gotten to travel around, I've, I've, I've come to miss Michigan. Whenever I'm gone, I get really homesick and I, I'm excited to get back home. So I think, you know, partly that, just finding kind of an appreciation. It's a very unique state, you know, and uh, it's really pretty, especially, you know, the farther north you get, it gets really pretty. Um, so that's, that's, that's one thing. And then the other, I think, is just all the, all the friends I've made and all the musicians that, that I get to play with. There's a lot of great people in Michigan, so I, you know, I stay very inspired here. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about you saying that there are some good, um, I guess, Americana artists in Michigan. Uh, talk about when some people think of mid-Michigan, they don't really see it as a music scene. Mm-hmm. But but what are your thoughts about that? Um, I think it's actually one of the better music scenes then. I mean, we've we've gotten to travel around quite a bit, and there's, you know, there's pockets all over the place that, that have really strong scenes. Um, it's kind of more of a, a hidden scene, I think, you know. Um, people that live here know about it, but I, I feel like people outside of Michigan don't really know. You know, it's kind of this like hidden gem, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, there happens to the, there are a lot of a lot of great musicians, and everybody's. I think everybody's really supportive of each other, which is is different than some places. I mean, I know in some of the bigger cities it gets really competitive. Um, in Michigan, it it tends to be you know people are competitive, but it's more on you know. It's more on like a friendly level. Everyone's trying to help each other out. You know, you're everyone's trying to get to where they want to be, but it kind of inspires everybody. And and uh, you know, everyone plays on each other's records and and, and does shows together. So, um, yeah. So if you had a chance to leave and and travel to a big city and you know hit it big, would you want to do that? Um, you know, I've I've toyed with the idea, um, and I'm not saying I would never you know, would never leave it at some point, but I, I still feel like I would end up coming back. Um, I do like to travel. It's, it's fun to go to new places and meet new people. And, and, um, and if I did, if any opportunities came up, you know, came about and end up going somewhere else, um, I think I would try to almost, you know, bridge the gap and, and bring sort of expose Michigan. You know, I think everywhere I go, it'd, it'd kind of be, you know, telling people about Michigan and all these great artists. And so... And who do you consider your musical influences? Um, well, I don't know. I I think one of my original influences is probably Bob Dylan. Um, but I, you know, locally, there's there's a lot of great people that I listen to. You know, from from Jen's music and to play with her, um, and um, you know Seth Bernard and Daisy May and and uh, and stepping in it. And there's a lot of good bands and. And then on top of that, you know, I get to hear about all these different, you know, like uh, Jen was telling me about, I think a while back, Tim O'Brien, who's, you know, he's a national songwriter, um, but kind of plays that same style, you know, this old-timey kind of roots music. And so, I don't know, I think every day I find somebody new that, that inspires me. Talk about the songwriting process for you, how that works. Oh, it's a slow process, <laughs> very slow Um yeah, it takes a long time uh, for me to write a song. Um, 
you know, I've got two albums out in maybe the last five years or so, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I usually start off with some kind of a melody in my head, you know, so I'll, I'll sit down and, and I'll have some kind of a melody. So I'll start strumming, you know, the guitar and come up with some idea. And, and then I, you know, try to figure out what it means or what, what kind of topic I'm, you know, it, it, it feels like and, and then just start writing lyrics. But I'll, I'll sit on songs for months and months and, and, you know, and one day it'll just kind of pop and I'll, I'll come up with the, you know, finally finish it. Um, and then occasionally, you know, I, I've written songs where it's, it's been within maybe 20 minutes, you know, it just kind of comes out and I have a song that I, you know, that I didn't have 20 minutes prior. So. And do you ever feel the pressure to have to put out this many songs within this period of time at all? Oh, I do. Yeah. Okay. I definitely feel pressure. It's, there's, there's, you know, some people really write fast and, uh, and I, I wish I could be like that. You know, like there's, there's some people just put out albums and albums and albums and it's, I, I definitely wish I could do that. Um, and there's kind of a pressure. I mean, I don't think there's really a strict time time frame that you have to do it, but I think everybody wants to have something new, especially if you're going to travel around and play, you know, every time you go back to a new or a place or you've been before, you, you want to have something new, you know, so it's hard to go, you know, play the, the same festivals and show up and have the same CD you had the last time. You know, it's it's it would be nice to have some new stuff. And listening to your music, um, I think about the type of music that you play, Americana music, and it's it's about setting a, a mood. The guitar just really brings me back to going as you as your first song, North Country, going yeah. up north and sitting outside on a dock or on the beach or yeah. on a porch and just sitting there and listening to music. So it, it puts you in a place. Yeah. But it's very descriptive um, and very calming. So what what when you write what are the goals that you want to accomplish while writing the song like what do you strive for in the music that you write um sometimes it's a story i think i think a lot of times it's a story trying to either an experience you know some kind of big experience or turning point in your life or something um you know trying to somehow convey that through a song and um you know, and sometimes it's just making something up. You know, I I wrote a song recently um, that I, I I feel I had a ghost in my car, and it was it kept changing the channel. You know, it probably was a faulty wire, but I like to call it the ghost. So I I tried to write a song kind of based around that. You know, I thought it'd be kind of fun and different. And then that turned into I I couldn't really come up with enough ideas, so it sort of turned into something else. You know, this sort of story about just somebody. You know, and it kind of had the same theme, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard. Songwriting's weird. <laughs> Would you be willing to play that song that you're just talking about? That one's actually not, not fully ready. Oh, I don't, okay. I don't know all the words yet. I would, I would probably forget half the words. So that probably wouldn't be the best. <laughs> oh, that's all right. So talk about, tra- um, you two are mostly in Michigan. Yep. Um, talk about what those tours are like and, and what's your favorite venue that you've ever performed in? Um, well, I've had in the last couple of years, some some really awesome venues I've gotten to play. Um, I've done a lot of the festivals and stuff, but it, and those are those are awesome. I really enjoy those. Um, one of my goals was to get into the Ark to finally play the Ark in Ann Arbor, and um, and Jen and I just did that recently, and that was a lot of fun. Um, we got to open up for the Wallflowers uh, last summer at the uh, Meyer Gardens Amphitheater in Grand Rapids, and that was really awesome. Um, 
So there's been a few big ones. I don't know if I could necessarily pick my favorite, but there's there's definitely a few that are that are my you know that are that are up there. And do you prefer to tour in Michigan or out of the state? Um, I enjoy both. I mean, I I love playing in Michigan, and we get to travel around and you know and and see every back road and you know in every little town and and I enjoy that. It is fun to get out of the state though, and it's it's fun to you know. It's kind of like being on vacation. You know, you have to work. You have to be on time to the, to the shows and and go on the radio station sometimes and promote and that kind of thing. And so it's it's not you know super glamorous. And it, a lot of times it's sleeping on you know hardwood floors you know at people's houses. And um, but it's fun. It, it's fun to wake up in new in new cities and and even if it's just for a day, you know, to get to say you know you played a show in, in whatever city you've never been in before. So so yeah. So would you be willing to play one last song for us? Yeah. Yeah. I'll play um I'll play a song off of my current CD. So the current CD uh, Michigan's Waltz, I'll do the title track. There we go.
And that was Exposure's Emily Fox interviewing singer-songwriter Sam Corbin. He will play alongside Jen Siget this Friday in downtown East Lansing at Fountain Square from 7 to 9 p.m. You're listening to Impact Exposure. First floor. Hey, what floor are you going to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> Hey, didn't we uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you, because I thought maybe we could... Uh, would you ever want to... Um, I was wondering if you, if I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. Oh, I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. That's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No, don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Oh. Sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Free. Studies show that three-quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Or at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89 FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Prime Time, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Prime Time. Now back to Impact Exposure. You're listening to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emmanuel Barry, subbing for Emily Fox. Madonna, Iggy Pop, and the White Stripes got their start in Michigan, but they left the state to make it big in the music industry. Today, some musicians want to stop that migration and keep talent close to home. Impact Exposure's Emily Fox reports on how music collectives are trying to do just that. It's almost midnight on a Monday, and a band called Gunlike is getting ready to record some music. A muggy, crowded room is filled with instruments and recording equipment. Dozens of homemade quilts drape from the ceiling, and the room is lit with Christmas lights. This isn't your average recording studio. It's actually the attic of Kevin Pritchard's home in Lansing. Pritchard is sitting in front of his laptop while he mixes the sound. This is about giving people a voice. We want to be able to use our talents, our knowledge, to actually help everyone out. Pritchard calls tonight's recordings the Quilted Attic Sessions. It's all part of his music collective called Bigger Brush Media. Pritchard says a handful of music collectives have been popping up around the state in the last couple of years. 
They function a lot like indie music labels, but membership is flexible, meaning even if your band isn't a part of the collective, you can still get help from people like Pritchard. Bigger Brush works with about a dozen bands that mostly play folk music. The collective helps record, promote, and book their musicians, and the charge to the artists? Absolutely nothing. Throw a couple hundred bucks at、uh, some software, a couple hundred bucks at some gear, maybe buy yourself one nice microphone for 500 bucks, and you can make things that are legit. It's really all the same idea, and it's if we can all kind of pool resources, we can all do things that are completely professional, all with sort of a shoestring budget. Pritchard graduated from Michigan State in 2009. He says after college, the majority of his friends moved to cities like Chicago because it was the hip place to be. Pritchard says he wanted to stay in Lansing because he saw potential in the city. He thought the best way to build on that potential is to play up the local art scene. I think without art, we're going to continue to lose people. We're going to continue to lose,、uh, you know, those young people that we've paid so much and invested so much time and energy into educating. They're going to keep moving away. Pritchard figured good music might make people want to stick around. In order to do just that, Pritchard and other musicians from Bigger Brush recently put on a concert called Folky Fest in Lansing. The annual Folky Fest featured a lot of Bigger Brush musicians as well as bands from other collectives around the state. Brandon Foot is part of the Lansing-based band Gifts or Creatures. He's with a music collective from Northern Michigan called Earthwork. In our sense, it's about the community, and then Earthwork is definitely a community.、Um, And I definitely don't think it's just about the music. It's definitely about knowing your neighbors, loving your neighbors. Foot is a huge advocate for Michigan. Many of his songs are inspired by the state. The one that gets the most airplay is about Detroit. He performed this song at Folky Fest. Speaking of Detroit, we'll send this one out to the Red Wings. This is a tune about a PO box down in the Detroit River. There's this tugboat that goes up to the freight liners and drops mail off to the big freight liners coming through. It's called the Westcott, and this tune's about that boat. Paint a picture of the state with lines like "two oars and muscle power" is what this rust belt gave to me. Like many in the local music scene, Foot enjoys being a part of a community and hopes his fellow musicians will continue to stay loyal to the state. It's a crazy time of year because a lot of people have kind of jetted, but I think some of the guys that are here have just finished school. It's it's really something to you know our, our culture kind of sets you up to do a lot of college and to do it, but I think people that actually complete it and.、Uh, Go through community and really build something with bigger brush. It's something to be said about it. So we hope you all stay here in Michigan with us. Gifts or Creatures is one of Maria Chomor's favorite bands. This was her first time going to Folky Fest. She says going to concerts and hearing local music has actually made her want to stay in Michigan. I am a just finished my freshman year at Michigan State and、um, didn't want to stay in Michigan to go to school. But ended up doing it, and I wasn't sure. I love music. wasn't sure of what music would be like around here, and started going to shows and realized that there is an amazing music scene, Michigan music, and fell in love. And that mentality is exactly what Pritchard is aiming for. He says he hopes creating a strong music scene in Lansing will not only make people want to stick around, but hopefully, it just might make people move back. For Impact Exposure, I'm Emily Fox. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Prime Time, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
Friday nights at 10 p.m., get ready for The Mechanical Pulse, where we're spinning all the house, trance, drum and bass, electro, ambient, and remixed music you need to get the weekend started. You'll hear live interviews and DJs spinning straight from the Impact Studios and the best new music on the scene. So tune in every Friday night at 10 p.m. for Mechanical Pulse. Only on 88.9 The Impact. Have you ever considered donating your blood? If not, perhaps you might reconsider. By the time this announcement is through, 15 new people will need blood. In fact, blood is needed by one in every 10 hospital patients, and there is almost always a shortage. There is no substitute for human blood. It cannot be manufactured. It can only come from those willing to donate. To learn more or make an appointment, visit redcrossblood.org. Reconsider blood donation. It's about life. Now back to Impact Exposure. This is Emmanuel Berry, and you're listening to Impact Exposure. Two MSU grads are spending all summer in a canoe traveling the length of the Mississippi. Cliff Walls and Alex Poe have a goal in mind as they paddle 2,350 miles. They want to collect donations for the Friends of Fishermen Fund. For every mile they paddle, $2 will go to fishermen who were affected by the Deepwater Horizon oil spill of 2010. I caught up with Alex and Cliff during a recent stop along the mosquito-filled banks of the Mississippi near Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, so explain why you decided, or what was your inspiration to take this, I mean, huge trip uh, down the Mississippi River? Uh, the original idea we had for the trip came from a trip that my dad did. Um, this is Cliff, by the way. Um, him and a buddy, both from St. Louis, grew up, or were born there, and they took a a boat down the Mississippi and camped on the, on the banks for about three weeks. And I was about 15 at the time. And I just started thinking to myself, that'd be cool to do the whole thing. And then the more I thought about it, I'd be like, well, it'd be awesome if you could do it all by manpower, just canoe or kayak the whole thing. And it was kind of in the back of my mind for a few years. And finally when I hit college, I started researching it more and saw that it's an actual trip that people do take. It's not just some random idea. So I began researching it, finding how long it would take, and yeah, and then I started talking. I met Alex in Case Hall, those across the hall from each other, um, my freshman year, and just started talking about the idea, and four years later, here we are. So in addition to taking this trip together, and just, I guess, I mean, sounds like a pretty awesome time, you guys are also um, doing this for a cause. Can you talk a little bit about what that cause is and why you decided um, to do this trip for something more than just fun? Well, yeah, we figured uh, we're going to to Venice. We're going to end in Venice, Louisiana, and uh, that's where the BP oil spill actually happened, and uh, we figured it, it, it was just a perfect charity. The Friends for the Friends of the fishermen help all the fishermen that have been uh, affected negatively by the oil spill. And, you know, in this in this day and age of, uh, you know, this week's disaster, it seemed like everybody had sort of forgotten about it. And uh, it was just a perfect charity. It's kind of like we're taking money from all the way down, you know, and just kind of bringing it to them. It just, it was, it was really symbolic of our trip. Now, you guys have been traveling for uh, a few weeks now. Can you um, give me an example of what your typical day is? Actually, so far, a typical day has been high winds, rain, and no sun. We we have calculated that out of our 12 days total, we've maybe had a total of one day's worth of sun. 
Uh, the past two days, we've had had 30-mile-per-hour headwinds. And two days before that, we had tornado warnings, severe thunderstorms in our tents. So we're camping through that. Um, heavy rains. It cleared up a little bit yesterday afternoon, which we were very pleased with. But, yeah, typically so far, it's been pretty nasty weather. Sounds like the rest of the the country is in a heat wave right now, but we've been going through low 30-degree nights and mid-50 days. So um, we're looking to get south where it will warm up a little bit. Yeah, we got uh, we got that. And then, you know, apart from the weather, generally we – this part I actually think is kind of, kind of nice. You know, we go to bed before the sun sets, um, and we get up 5, 6 o'clock, really no problem, just because, you know, you're so tired after you paddle 40, 50 miles a day. And um, you fall asleep pretty easily, and then you wake up the next day and make some breakfast on your camp stove and head out and paddle pretty much all day. Take a, take a break for lunch at a campsite and then keep going. So it sounds like it's you guys just basically canoe all day, and it's is it just the two of you, correct? Actually, we uh, we just met up uh, probably about four days ago, four or five days Three ago. Six. On our day six, we met up with the father and son duo, who Mark and Anthony, who are actually doing the same trip as us. Um, and they they also have a blog at uh, I think it's barefooting like bear like the actual <laughs> mammal uh, barefooting.tumblr.com. And uh, yeah, they they've been a wonder to travel with. They've kind of broken the monotony of two people alone paddling down the Mississippi for hours on end. Were you guys getting starting to get sick of each other? No, we started just talking about random nonsense, and our conversations were they devo- just nonsense. They really just evolved into utter nonsense, make, like noise-making. Yeah, noise-making <laughs> is pretty common. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned... <laughs> You mentioned uh, blogging, um, that the other pair are blogging as well. Can you talk a little bit about the social media aspect of um, the trip that you've planned? Well, we figured since we're doing this for charity and there's a lot of people who are interested in what we're doing and supporting us, we might as well give them a more intimate view into what's going on. And by using social media, it gives our, our supporters and donors and just friends and family a more active role and what we're doing, because not only can we, you know, see pictures from our tweets that are happening and Facebook posts and our actual blogs, people can look at uh, our, our blog and see our exact location on the river. It updates every 10 minutes. So we've had really good response with that. People are people are um, are really just jumping on board with that because because rather than just you know donating money or wishing us well, they can actually see what we're going through every day, hear what we're going through every day. And all the fun and, like, the people we're meeting, um, just everything that happens. And it's, it's really great because it, it feels like we're still connected to home and they're still connected to us. We are still out here on our own, paddling down the Mississippi. Now, I've, I've read a couple of your blog posts, and it sounds like you guys have been having a little bit of a rough time. One of your posts reads, During a period of almost 2.5 hours, we almost died tri- twice, almost flipped over six times, and almost cried 18 times. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the dangers or some of the hazards you guys have faced. Well, what happened is that at the headwaters, we, we didn't think there was going to be bad flooding up here just because uh, most of the flooding that everybody's reading about in the news is coming from the Ohio. But um, turns out the, the waters are still pretty choppy up at top. 
up at the top, and uh, they have marked on the map places where there's rapids, but we hit a spot where it wasn't marked. It just happened to be, um, we, it just happened to be really choppy, really rough rapids, and we have a heavy canoe, so it's hard to turn. So we'd be running in rocks. We'd be, uh, we'd be surfing. <laughs> the one that we're talking about mostly is we, uh, we were navigating around a rock, and then we hit this 30-foot tree, probably about 10, 12 inches in diameter, um, hit it, almost slipped on there, and then we stabilized ourselves, but then the tree got underneath us, so we surfed it for about 10, 15 yards um, until we managed to get it out from under us, but then it started chasing us down the river um, <laughs> while we were in rapids, which, uh, which was terrifying. Um, other parts, you know, we'd run into trees. We had to... It's just been uh, a really manly thing. <laughs> I feel, feel good about myself. We we can say that, that after that day. It was our first day. It was like a hazing. Um, after that day, while we were spent, just we we slept in a bog with just you know ticks, mosquitoes. It was it was ridiculous. But uh, it's really lightened up after that first day. Feel good. Has, has the overall trip been more challenging than you thought it would be? No, I mean, we we never expected this to be, you know, a joy ride or like a, you know, Huck Finn ride down the river. We knew it would be hot, buggy, and just, you know, I mean, when you're paddling 12 hours a day, you're going to get sore, you know, sit up tents every night, sleep on the ground. We we expected this. We've done this kind of thing before. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. I can't say too much bad about it. Can you, you describe uh, some of the people or maybe a unique town that you've stopped in so far? Oh, Unique people. <laughs> we can't talk about that. Um, sorry. Uh, well, I don't know. Everyone up here is really nice. You gotta love the Minnesota accent. It's pretty much just like a Canadian accent because we're up so far. Um, but yeah, everyone's been really nice. We've passed out. We have like business cards with our you know blog name and address on there, and everyone's been really excited. And we've had actually people post on our Facebook that we've met so far. In, in Bemidji and a town called Cohasset. So, yeah, people were meeting are excited about what we're doing. I, there's probably 20 people who attempt this a year, but not a lot of people around here even realize it. So they're excited, too, and want to follow up. Um, yeah, we, we've met. Everyone's been really helpful. We've had two people drive us around big lakes. We got caught in the middle of a lake, and there's three-and-a-half-foot whitecaps, and, uh, you know, 35-mile-per-hour headwinds. Some guy drove us around into the, you know, more calm river. It happened again um, before the biggest lake we're going to approach. So, yeah, I mean, everyone's been great. We've had some great pie from a little amazing pie, actually. If you're going to ever come to Brainerd, Minnesota, there's a great pie at the barn. And there's a water tower in the shape of a castle. (laughs) So can I get most memorable moment so far from each of you guys? Okay, well, I don't want to make this trip sound that bad because it's been awesome, but the most memorable was the first day. We went through all those rapids. We somehow, in a moment of just pure stupidity, went past our campsite because we were convinced, because it wasn't marked, that we were at the wrong one and that the other one was about a half mile away. After moving on, we had realized that, no, in fact, we were in the middle of about 20 miles of bog, and it was dark. And so we found the driest spot, which was still a flooded piece of bog, which is, you know, peat grass or peat soil land, really squishy, just flooded. So we set up there at night. We were covered in ticks, the head to toe, bearing into us. And we slept through the rain. 
we heard creepy noises, things crossing the river around us. And that was the first night after a long day, not knowing what to expect and having to sleep in a flooded bog where you're walking, the solid ground is technically really up to your knees in mosquito nests. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, other than that, it's been great. But that, I would have to say, is my most memorable moment. And what about uh, you, Alex? Honestly, that that whole first day is also mine. The, probably after we crossed the rapids would be the first one. The, the, um, yeah, but for the for the sake of uh, for the sake of difference here, um, we'll go with uh, the night that we pulled into the dam and we actually met the other two guys doing the Mississippi. It was uh, I think it was day six. Uh, day six at night, we've been paddling through cold rain the whole day, and uh, and we just we caught wind and we heard that the campsite that we were going to had hot showers and we hadn't showered. For six days, I mean, we we just wa- we just changed out our first set of clothes today. Is day? Oh wow! Yeah, we walked them, I guess. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, it was just pulling in there. It was thunderstorming and everything. And uh, we met these two guys. Saw a canoe posted up there and said, "There's no way somebody's canoeing this just for fun. They're, they they got to just be doing the same thing." And uh, turns out they were. And we just took that hot shower, and all of a sudden, everything at least for me, everything became. Uh, became better instead of this instead of a really crappy campsite next to a constantly running railroad track and a highway uh during a thunderstorm it was like a really nice campsite with a hot shower and no mosquitoes and friends (laughs) (laughs) sounds like heaven my my day there so so uh how much more do you guys have to go we probably have about i would say 2100 more miles to go yeah, and we're yeah we haven't even gotten out of the headwaters yet. We're guessing we're not really even a quarter done. I think uh, I think come come a couple days from now we'll be about a quarter of the way done. We're expecting this to take about anywhere from fifty to sixty five days. So uh, we got a lot ahead of us. We're not even out of Minnesota yet. So <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Exposure to Best of Luck on your Mississippi Odyssey. Thank you much. Thank you very much. Check out the blog. Yeah, That was Cliff Walls and Alex Poe, two MSU grads who are canoeing the Mississippi River to raise money for Friends of Fishermen. I spoke to them earlier this week. To follow Alex and Cliff on their journey, you can check out their website at www.arsts.org. Now in studio, we welcome Shirlina Ghosh, who is currently pursuing a Ph.D. in rhetorics at Michigan State University. She is here to talk about her research, which focuses on digital technologies transforming practicing and teaching of traditional dance. Her work deals with the Indian classical dance Odissi, a dance she has studied for years. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. So first, can you explain what exactly this style of dance is? And uh, I guess kind of give us a brief history of the dance. Uh, This is uh, the name of the dance is Odissi because it comes from the eastern state of Orissa in India. And it is actually a 2000 year old dance. And uh, the way the memory of the dance sort of um, was kept alive was that it was inscribed on the walls, on the temple walls out of stone. So... It's it was like, yeah, it was like, you know, uh, beautiful women in different poses that were who were carved on the temple walls. And uh, that is how, you know, we have uh, the memory of the dance has survived all these years. And now, of course, we 
you know, have a modern way of, you know, uh, practicing the tradition, but we try to keep the tradition and the purity of the tradition alive. So what does this dance look like? What type of movements are you doing or how, how does the body move? It's very geometric. At the same time, there is a very graceful flow and lilt in the dance. And, uh, you know, there are several, there are actually seven uh, kinds of uh, classical dances in India, and Odyssey is one of them. So what distinguishes Odyssey is a very rounded movement of the body. And, uh, you know, it, we sort of, each, each posture, gesture, uh, hand gesture, uh, shapes uh, give a certain meaning uh, and communicate a certain meaning and certain stories with the dance. Can you give an example, like what would a certain hand movement? I mean, describe a hand movement for us, and like what that, what exactly that would mean? Okay, so if if you were to uh, uh, probably demonstrate a fish or communicate the meaning of fish, what you would do is you would put one hand on the other and move your thumbs as if they were the fins, and that you know it, it's it's like the fish swimming in the water and. Uh, with that, you would also move your body in such a way that demonstrates the flow of the water and the, the graceful movement of the fish. So it is that we are communicating a story and a picture, an image in front of you with our body. Now, you were trained in this dance. How many years have you been dancing? I started when I was four. And at that time, I was not. Re I did not really realize that you know what I was doing, or the importance of this, or the you know, my sort of you know expectation of my contribution to to a, a classical art. Uh, my mother took me to dance, and I was not immediately accepted because they said I was too young. So I was made to sit and watch for some time, and I was, you know, kind of you know uh, absorbed into the classroom, and I started uh, training, uh, and it was only like several years, like 10, 10 or 12 years after that, that uh, my, my teacher or my guru gave me the permission to dance in public and have public performances. So you weren't allowed to show anyone all oh, your Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I was allowed to show. <laughs> but, you know, uh, getting up there on stage in public and class dancing pure classical indian dance is something which which is very which is an important thing and because you are sort of representing your artistic tradition and uh, your guru your teacher and his school so Ex explain a little bit more about the idea of the guru and the school and how I mean, how important that is to to preserving the dance or to having this dance being taught i guess mm -hmm. Well, every classical art, be it music or um, dance, uh, in India, the the importance of guru is really extremely uh, crucial because it is through him or her that the tradition sort of you know goes on from one generation to the other. So, uh, all, the 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 memory is sort of you know um, passed on from generations and that is why the position of the guru is so important in in our dance so uh whenever i'm performing if if you tell you know this is the performance by shrili nagosh immediately you'll have to say disciple of srimati aloka kanungo so it is important it's very important to take the name of my guru so, when i'm performing so that 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 is how important it is you're representing, I mean, it's more than yourself and you're dancing out there. You're representing a line of, of teachers. Kind exactly, of thing. exactly. 
So part of your research or what you've been working on here at MSU, you're looking at how technology has changed the way that Odyssey is taught and essentially how it's changed and interacts with the tradition. Can you explain a little bit about what you discovered and how you conducted your research? Well, the traditional way in which uh, these arts were taught is that uh, the disciple would go to the home of the uh, guru and would learn from them, sort of, the guru will demonstrate and you will imitate, and that is how. And, you know, it it was essentially a very oral culture and an oral tradition. But technology is changing it in very interesting ways. So there is no good or bad. It's just that it is... Uh, creating a very different pedagogy and a very different style of uh, practice within the artistic traditions. So, you know, it is creating very interesting conversations within uh, the the new generations and very interesting reactions from the older uh, generations. So it's there are controversies, but there are, you know, very interesting conversations. And my uh, re- research kind of tries to uh, bring forward or create a space for these uh, conversations to happen and these things to, you know, for, for people to sort of talk about how the traditions are being changed and molded so that when we go on to the next generation of Odyssey dancers, the purity is preserved, something that has been preserved for thousands of years, uh, and how, how, how we can use technology in a very positive way. So that is probably the ultimate goal of my research. Now, you mentioned some of the positive aspects of, of technology, but what are some of the negative um, things, negative effects, I guess, that technology has had on the tradition uh, of the stance? Uh, well, you know, positive and negative is, is, is uh, something that's very um, debatable, as in, you know, something which, which looks negative to me might not be negative, and that, that is what I'm trying to hold forward in my research. And my personal opinion is sometimes I'm sort of, you know, taking, keep keeping it to myself when I'm writing my dissertation. But one thing is that uh, the position of the guru, which I mentioned, is uh, sometimes like when, when technology is being used to teach and videos, people can learn from videos, then the position of the guru, I mean, the almost godlike position of the guru, which has been such an integral part of the dance, is being compromised. And so that that is something which is a very interesting thing. I don't, you know, it could be a negative because it's so ingrained in the culture, but at the same time, we have to keep in mind the, you know, so it is just one example of, uh, you know, the different kinds of things that I'm uh, seeing in front of me through my research, through my, uh, you know, interviews and talking to people. So who who exactly did you interview and talk to when, when you were conducting this? Did you talk to people who you've worked with in the past, who you've choreographed for, that kind of thing? Yeah, I've talked to several people, um, both in USA and in, uh, and in India, uh, several veteran gurus, and I've tr- tried to, you know... Um, ask them what do they think of the technology being used in the teaching of dance or the the practice of dance and i've tried to get uh try to have voices represented across the several artists the uh, old, older generation of artists as well as the newer generation of artists who are getting excited with technology and the you know the affordances of technology and trying to uh involve that within their practice as well do you personally think that 
that this ancient tradition that this can be held on to and the purity of it can be kept in this air where everything is so easily accessible. Um, do you think that, I mean, do you think that's a possibility um, for the future? Do you think that, um, that the purity of the dance will be kept with the increased use of technology? I guess. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it depends uh, really uh, on the artist to make those judgments. And, uh, you know, we have held Guru in such an important position. So it is also important for the, the teachers to uh, to communicate to the next generation of tech savvy, uh, you know, artists, the budding artists about the purity that needs to be held on to. Everything is subject to change. Even the way that Odyssey was performed 50 years ago, the, the style is different from what it is now. So change is going to happen. But at the same time, it, it should be a very intelligent and, uh, you know, a, a well thought about evolution of the dance. I'm talking with Shrilina Ghosh, MSU, PhD student, dancer, and choreographer about her work exploring technology and traditional dance. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Smoking helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want mysmokefreeapartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. Mysmokefreeapartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Now back to Impact Exposure. You're tuned to Impact Exposure, and now for the Michigan Storytelling segment, we welcome Rose Cooper, poet, author, singer, and third-year Korean language student at Michigan State University. Cooper is an award-winning member of Michigan State University's SLAM poetry team and co-founder of Shijo Poetry Consortium of Lansing. Welcome to Exposure. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you have a poem to share with us today, um, possibly two, if time permits. Okay. Um, let's... Let's just get into it. Let's hear it. All right. This um, is my latest piece. Um, it's a little bit of a downer, but I hope that people will take it as um, take it as I bring it. It's called A Motown City Blues. <clears throat> Comic books and rubber bands 
Climbing to the treetop, falling down and holding hands, tricycles and red pop, pony rides and Sunday nights, roller skates and yo-yos, fairy tales and snowball fights, climbing through the window, remember when you were a kid oh yeah i remember i remember sitting on my mama's porch in the d as the sun played peekaboo with cotton trees the soft of summer caressing my cheek with a lover's touch i remember watching puka and junebug try to slide around the corner playing their own private version of tag i remember I remember daddy trips to Bellevue. On the rare occasions, mama would let us skip Sunday school. We called ourselves going out to the country now. Funny that my first taste of life outside the limits would plant seeds that would eventually blossom beneath my feet in the cracks of sidewalk concrete, mapping out my escape route. I remember. I remember the fountain at Belle Isle fooling me into believing that colorful fingers could reach ever skyward. I remember the Bablo riding waves of unsophisticated glory, carrying us to the land where dreamers play. I remember real burners so strong it felt illegal. I remember Farmer Jack Jitneys before the grocery stores all flew away. I remember Cooley and Cass. I remember Double Dutch and Dodgeball. I remember Joe Lewis and Cobo Hall. I remember the Renaissance and New Detroit. I remember. I remember. I remember. But now I sing a Motown City blues. A dirge for our loss for the corpse left behind. A blues for the zombies that now inhabit this barren land. A lament for rows and rows of mansions long abandoned like the empty shells of terrified crabs, now occupied only by vermin and dead men. A fugue for the corrupt jackals that feast on the bones of pride. A well for what was. A well for what is. A dirge for our loss, for the corpse left behind. There is a clarion call going out to the Detroit diaspora, a cry for us to return to the place we once called ours. Come back, they say. Come back. Come back to this place that birthed you. Reach out to us. Your roots are showing. Come back, they say. Come back. I want to heed this call. With all my heart, I want to. Even at its worst, it once was home. But what some see as a phoenix rising triumphantly from the ashes, I see as an almost beautiful bird being pulled back down into that engulfing abyss. The me that once was nearly drowned in that fire, but I shook my tail feathers, licked my wounds, and moved on. The Detroit that is now just breaks my heart. So for now, for now... I sing a blues of remembrance. Remember when you were a kid. 
This week's Michigan Storytelling segment featured Rose Cooper, poet, author, singer, and Korean language student. Rose will be performing the national anthem for the Lansing Derby Vixens roller derby team at the Lansing Center. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.